Good morning, church family. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, choir, for that beautiful rendition of Noel. Um, thank you to the Lyle fam Lyle's family for lighting our fourth candle of Advent. Thank you for being here on Sunday morning. I know some of you may have thought maybe, you know what, one worship a day is enough. I'll wait until Christmas Eve service tonight, but you came, and I'm grateful for that. If you did, and you had a child in Kathy Planton's Sunday school class, you got to witness, um, I don't know how many years we've been doing this, but it's, it's called a shadow drama about the Christmas story, and uh, I was able to go up and watch the kids uh, put on that shadow drama, and uh, I will tell you, it was standing room only, standing room only up there, and so we're going to Kathy, we're going to probably have to find a different venue for next year. What do you think? That would be great. Uh, let me share also with you that the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is something that's near and dear to my heart. I, I firmly believe in that mission. Um, it is uh, one of the missions that 100% of your gifts go to the field to support missionaries. And so let's hit our goal of $35,000 this year. So with that, I want to uh, also share with you, once you give to Lottie Moon, on January 10th, we have a course called Financial Peace, Financial Peace. And so you can have peace about giving to Lottie Moon, and you'll take that course beginning January 10. The Hibblers will be teaching that course. That's on the very first Wednesday that we return to our Oasis schedule on Wednesday nights, so you don't want to miss that. Uh, with that, I want you to turn in your Bible this morning to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Last week, we talked about Simeon, and today we're going to be talking about Anna the prophetess, Anna the prophetess. And the title of my message this morning is More Than a Feeling. Now, some of you out there may think that I'm going to make reference to a song by the band Boston. More than a feeling. How many of you know that song? Well, it's actually not that song that I'm referring to. It's one closer to my uh, generation when I was in high school. Don't make fun of me, but I was kind of a big fan of Huey Lewis and the news. And uh, they uh, sang the song that was the theme song for Back to the Future, The Power of Love. The Power of Love. How many of you remember that song? Um, so I looked up the lyrics, and I, and I want to share them with you. I certainly won't sing them. I don't want to ruin your Christmas Eve morning. But it says this, The power of love is a curious thing. Make one man weep, make another man sing. Change a hawk to a little white dove. More than a feeling, that's the power of love. It is more than a feeling. In fact, love is full devotion. Love is a verb. It's not a feeling, it's a verb. It's what we do. And today we're going to look at the life of a woman who was fully devoted to her Lord, to God Almighty. So if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, we're in Luke chapter 2. Please stand and I'll read these few verses and then we'll say a few words about them. Verses 36 through 38 of Luke chapter 2. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. 
And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Father, this is your word. We thank you for it. We thank you for this witness of this woman named Anna. May it fuel our faith. May it encourage us to be sacrificial in the way in which we serve you, your kingdom, and our Christ, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, as I think about it, this full devotion is demonstrated in three ways. First, as a woman, it is Anna herself. Uh, it's, um, it's, it, we, while we didn't know much about Simeon, we know a lot about Anna. Let me share some things with you about her. First of all, she was a prophetess. Did you know that a prophet is someone who conveys God's message to the people? Therefore, she is a spokesperson for God Almighty. What a high calling on her life. She was a prophetess. Amos 3.7 says this, Surely the sovereign Lord does, not, uh, does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. According to the Bible, there are true and false prophets. And in fact, Anna was one female prophet, but there were many others. First, there was uh, the prophetess Miriam. Did you know that Miriam, the sister of Aaron and Moses, is referred to in the scripture as a prophet? She was in Exodus 15, verse 20. In addition to that, the judge, Deborah, was a prophet. Deborah and Barak were a prophet. She was a prophet. Another prophet is one who lived during the, the reign of King Josiah, towards the latter part of the rule of Judah, the southern kingdom. And her name was Huldah. And Huldah was a prophet that was consulted by the leaders, the priests, the, the priest and the leaders underneath of King Josiah as to what they should do. She is the one who encouraged the king that because of his humble submission to God, when they had found the book of the law, that in fact this king would die and not receive the due punish, punishment of Israel for their lack of faith in God. Huldah was another prophetess. And then there's Noadiah in Nehemiah. She was a false prophetess. And then there is the wife of Isaiah. Did you know that the wife of Isaiah was also referred to in Scripture as a prophet? In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3. In the New Testament, we see Anna here in Luke chapter 2. But we also see Philip, the evangelist, had four daughters who are referred to as prophetesses in Acts chapter 22. One. And so she was a prophet. Her name, Anna, means grace. Grace, that she had bestowed such grace as she served in the temple day and night. And she was the daughter of Phanuel. Phanuel literally means the face of God. And so she came from a family that had some means because she came from the tribe of Asher. If you know anything about your Old Testament history, you'll know that Asher... The tribe of Asher actually bordered on the Mediterranean Sea north of Jerusalem and west of Galilee. And in fact, it was that piece of land that supplied all of the olive oil to all of the ten tribes of the northern kingdom. 
The tribe of Asher was also known for its rich food and delicacies. In fact, it says, according to Genesis 49, Asher's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. And then Moses says this in Deuteronomy 33 of the tribe of Asher, most blessed, most blessed of all the sons is Asher. Let him be favored by his brothers and let him bathe his feet in oil. Once again, the olive oil wealth of that tribe. Listen to this. The bolts of your gates will be iron and bronze and your strength will equal your days. The women of the tribe of Asher were known, according to rabbinical writings, to be some of the most beautiful women in all the tribes of Israel. So much so that priests and princes alike sought their hand in marriage. We can surmise from all of this that Anna was probably a woman who came from means, similar to Lottie Moon. She came from a wealthy family of some prestige. Her lineage wouldn't have been listed here by Luke if that were not true. She was also probably a very beautiful woman in her youth. And she, of course, would have been a woman heavily sought after by some of the men in that tribe of that day. I, I would imagine that Anna had a good life until tragedy struck. It's pretty evident here that she was probably around the age of 14 when she got married. That was the, the time when most women entered into marriage around 14 or 15 years of age. So that would mean that if she was married to her husband for seven years and then he died so that she became a widow, then Anna would have lost her husband at the age of 21. According to scripture, we're not sure, but we doesn't, it doesn't seem to be that she ever remarried. It also doesn't seem to be that she had any children. She was a widow without any children. Tragedy had struck her at an early age. She became a widow. She went through trials. I don't know about you this morning. Have you gone through trials in life? Maybe you've overcome some sickness when you were young. Maybe you've gone through divorce. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've gotten into a horrible fight that is long-lasting within your family. Maybe you're estranged from your own parents. Maybe you can't get along with your coworkers. Whatever you're going through, learn a lesson from Anna, that Anna went through trials, but that did not define who she was. It's only part of her story. We see no evidence in scripture here that Anna was bitter, that Anna became a victim, that Anna became angry. No, instead we see that Anna would spend the next 63 years of her life serving her Lord and God. She was 84 years old in this text. Some uh, scholars would indicate, perhaps, because it's hard in the Greek to understand exactly how old she was, I would say she's probably 84, but she could be as old as 105 years of age at the time she meets Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. But she was widowed at 21. She spent 63 years serving him. 
She did not let her age keep her from serving God. Let me ask you a question. I have a wonderful uh, relationship with the folks at Harmony, and there are many widows and widowers there. And I will share with you that they are such an inspiration to me. They, we live stream our service every Sunday to Harmony. And for my friends at Harmony, Merry Christmas to you, because I know many of you can relate directly to this woman, Anna. She never stopped serving her Lord. You're never too old to be useful to God. We only need to look at our brother Jesse to learn that lesson, that he will continue to serve the Lord as long as he has breath. That's the, the picture of Anna here. She's 84 years old, and she is serving the Lord faithfully night and day. She was devoted. She was devoted. It, look, look at what it says in Psalm 84.4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, for they are ever praising you. Anna blessed those people who came in. And so we move from the woman to her worship. Her worship. Full devotion is evidenced or demonstrated in worship. It says here that she worshiped God night and day, fasting and praying. Her place of worship was probably in the court of women at the temple. She was dedicating, probably she was part of the dedication of firstborn sons. She was part of the dedication of women to their purification rites to fulfill the law of God. She probably greeted young families over and over and every single day. But when Jesus came in with his mom and dad, Mary and Joseph, she saw Simeon bless them, prophesy over them, and she then came and attended to them as well. Her fervency of worship was constant, night and day. Can I ask a question? How fervent is your worship? Worship isn't just here on Sunday morning. Worship is every day you wake up, you say, thank you, Lord, for another day. You go outside and you see the beauty of creation. You know that God is working in and through you as you go throughout the day. Do you have a constant dialogue with him? I would imagine that Anna certainly did. It says there that she fasted. Now, fasting is kind of an, a... a, a a discipline that we don't practice much, but really it is just an abstention from food for a period of time. That's what fasting is, and it's certainly biblical. Jesus said, when you fast. He didn't say if. He said, when you fast, do not look somber like the hypocrites. The idea of fasting is not to draw attention to yourself, but to actually empty yourself of all attention so that you can focus on God. That is, that you don't feed yourself with uh, nourishment from food, you feed yourself with the Spirit of Almighty God. Fasting is an outward expression of a humble heart within. I wonder if you fast. I uh, have had to fast because sometimes the food with my chemo treatments didn't taste so good, so fasting was not as hard, you know? But fasting is a discipline that we should all try to do. But then it also says that she prayed. She prayed. She prayed for the second coming, I mean, for the first coming of the Messiah. 
She herself prayed for wisdom. You can imagine in James, uh, James chapter 1, it says that when you pray, God bestows wisdom. In Colossians chapter 3, it says that God opens up doors for those who pray. Jeremiah says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Did you know that when you pray, when you come to the Lord, and you ask God for wisdom, and you ask God to open up doors, and you ask God to reveal himself to you, he will. How many of us go to the Lord in that kind of prayer to really get before him and say, Lord, speak to me? Prayer is, as I said last week, not just us telling God what we want, but spending time in quiet submission, confident. That as we get quiet, he will speak to our hearts. He will let you know where he wants you to go, who he wants you to speak to, how he wants you to act. God will reveal that to you. I'm convinced. I'm convinced that our life is so full of running here and there and everywhere, we have literally drowned out the voice of God. Can we come back to that little room, proverbially, that we go to and spend some time with God in the midst of this busy season? That's my encouragement to you, and that's, of course, the encouragement from Anna. Her prayers were for the women who came into the court of the temple. Her prayers were sincere and selfless. A wise Christian once said this, you will never tell people about Jesus until you tell Jesus about people. You know, as your prayer life consumed with thinking about people in this season especially, who don't know Jesus. Why would you bottle that up and keep it to yourself? Be like the widow who continued to knock at the door. She wanted to come over and she wanted to come. She would not stop knocking. Do that to your friends and family because the Holy Spirit is moving. Her worship was centered on fasting and prayer and lifting Jesus as high as he could. Notice that she thanked God for him. She gave thanks to God for the coming of this one that was promised. But then thirdly, there is not just the woman and her worship, but also her witness. Notice what it says there at the very end. It was our memory verse for today. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God, and then get this, she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem, and she witnessed according to get that. She gave thanks to God. She was grateful for the blessing of seeing the Messiah, but she had a testimony. Do you realize that you have a testimony? Do you realize that you have a story? What is your story? If you've never written down your testimony, let me encourage you to do that. I ask the people who join our church to do that and become baptized. Before they're baptized, we have uh, Nancy or Chad read their testimony before our congregation. Why? Because that's their story. You have a story. 
Think back to the moment when you first trusted Jesus Christ, when you first came into right relationship with him, when you said, I surrender all. It's you, Jesus. That's it. I can point to a time. I was 17 years of age. I was under an oak tree. I was at a youth uh, camp called Young Life. And the pastor said, go out there and you speak with God. You talk to God. You ask him to reveal himself to you. And I I, I literally sat under that oak tree and I said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. And I have not stopped following him since that day. When we think about our story, nobody can argue with your story. It's your story. Have you shared your story with your friends and your family? Do they know it? I would encourage you to go home and write it down. What was your life like before Christ? What was your encounter with Christ? When did you really come into that relationship with him and trust him? And then what's your life been like since then? Does it mean your life is perfect ever since you received Christ? No. I have fallen down and gotten up, fallen down and gotten up. Why? Because life, the Christian life is a journey. It's a pilgrimage. It's a race to be run. And here are my family and friends who are helping me run my race of faith. You have friends and family within this church who are helping you run your race of faith. Run it with perseverance. Fix your eyes, the Hebrews author will tell us, on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I'm convinced that Anna ran a strong race. She had a testimony. She had a story. All who were looking to the redemption of Jerusalem came. All means all people. All were able to come and see who this Christ was. And they were looking. You know, God uses at least seven means to draw humans to himself. Did you know that? God uses seven means. First of all, he created you in his image. There's not a person in this world ever in any generation from the beginning of time who has not been created in the image of almighty God. The people that live down the street from you are created in his image. The people that work with you are created in his image. Even the people who do vile, sinful things are created in the image of God. First, that he's he's given us his image. Secondly, he has given us, are you ready for this? He has given us creation. Like I said, you walk out the door and you see creation. You look at the cosmos, the sun, the moon, the stars, the universe. The more we learn about the universe, the more awesome it is. The more we learn about the human cell and how the body is designed, the intelligence and the intentionality of the design is something you just can't miss. God is the great creator. And because of that, his creation bears testimony to him. But then there's a third thing. There's your conscience. Do you realize that every one of us has a conscience? We have a moral code written on our hearts. We know what's right and wrong. C.S. Lewis would say the moral code has been written on the hearts of men. Every one of us. We may not obey it. We may not follow it, but it's there. 
the conscience will hold you back. That's what causes people to say there's something more beyond just this. And then fourthly, there's the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit is working on all human beings. It's working on us as Christians on how we serve God, but it works on non-Christians as well. The Holy Spirit is working on the hearts of people. The same sun that melts wax also hardens clay. The Holy Spirit is moving and active. And people, you have to realize when you share your story, when you talk to people about Christ, you realize that it's not just you talking, the Holy Spirit's moving as well. You are in conjunction with, you're working in cooperation with the Holy Spirit as Simeon did last week. And then fifthly, there's the Bible. The Bible, the Word of God. The Word of God convicts people. Our Gideon ministry, you know, think about it. You hand out a Bible, the Bible will draw people to Christ. When they start reading the words of God, they realize this is not just written by men. This has to be something that's been carried along by the Holy Spirit, by God himself. He wrote these words. This is his love letter to mankind. It's not just some history book. If it were, it would not have transformed the lives of Millions and millions and millions of people since 2,000 years ago. You realize that this Bible becomes a way to speak to the heart of individuals. It teaches us about him. Does it help us to understand everything in it? No. None of us in this room could say, we've got it all figured out. We don't have to read it anymore. We understand. No. The Bible is a way to lead us into the most simple relationship with Jesus Christ. And then, sixthly, there's the gospel itself, the good news, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. The gospel doesn't have to become so complicated. It's as simple as that. You recognize your own sin. You recognize you need a Savior. You recognize that Jesus is the perfect Savior. You place your faith in Him. And then from then on, He helps you to get your life right before God. Don't wait till you got it all figured out. Wait, don't sit there and say, well, I can't follow Christ because I've got this sin and this sin and this sin in my life. No, God wants you to come to Him now. And then He will help you clean up your mess. Your mess becomes his message. Your mess becomes his message. Well, there's not only the image of God created in you, the creation itself outside of you, the conscience that he bears within you, the Holy Spirit that has become an indwelling presence and guide for you, the Bible, the, the, Bible, the word of God, the gospel, and then, of course, life circumstances. Let me share with you. Life circumstances will sometimes bring you closer to God than any of the others. Why? Because God uses it. God uses whatever you've been through in life. Anna recognized this one principle, that she was a child of God. And no matter what happened to her in her life, she was going to serve him the rest of her days. She was faithful. She was selfless. She was sacrificial. She was sincere. And she, I know, met the Lord Jesus at her death. And, she, and the Lord Jesus said to her, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. I don't know about you, but life circumstances will sometimes get you to a place where you trust 
Jesus Christ once and for all. And so the witness that Anna had was to these young families that were coming into the temple. And she was saying, come in here and let me introduce you to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Tonight, when we worship, we will be worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's not a baby in a manger only. He is a baby who grew to be a man who did for us what we could not do for ourselves, and he is right now seated at the right hand of Almighty God. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you think this is it? No, it's not. Jesus is on the throne, and he is waiting for his father to say, Son, it's time. Come and get your children. Are you, like Anna, going to be ready when the Savior comes? Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Anna, the, just the testimony, the witness of her life. We thank you for her goodness and her not taking a tragedy in her life and becoming a victim, but instead becoming a servant within your kingdom. Oh, what a high calling it was. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, we can learn from Anna in this Christmas time, that we can learn what it means to serve sacrificially for you and your kingdom. And Father, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.